The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Um, I, my dad has been in a part of an organization called the YMBL. A lot of you may know that. They put on the state fair every year. I joined the YMBL several years ago. In my mind, it was going to be an outlet to meet lost people. Um, and so I thought I would go and, and meet, but it's just this, the time constraint is very demanding. That's why most of the people in the YMBL that actually are part of it are retired. Um, and so I, uh, with kids and stuff, it just, it was really hard for me to keep doing that. But I, uh, one year I'd, I'd helped with a fair. And one of the things I learned by, by doing that is, is within that organization, there is meaningful community, like a brotherhood, like these guys or check on each other. Somebody passes away in their family. They're at the funeral. They're loving on each other. They're helping each other when they have financial needs. They're, they're, they're a real genuine community, right? They are the real deal. Um, and, and not only that, but they are a real meaningful community that's built around affecting positive change in our community. So they have real meaningful relationships, a brotherhood but, but they also have a purpose. They're, they're going out and really affecting meaningful change in our community. They meet physical needs. They're, they're, they're helping people when, when they have needs. They, they support other nonprofits in, in our community. And so here's the question. If that's all of our, the, the, the church is about in our minds, the, the truth is we have a grave misunderstanding of what church is. If church is just community, if church is just a worship service, then, then we, we have a grave understanding of what it is. The church is not just a weekly gathering to learn more about God, although you can definitely learn more about God here. The church is not just meaningful community, although you can definitely find meaningful community here. The church is not just a community built around affecting positive change in our world, although we do strive to love our neighbor and meet uh, physical and emotional needs. The problem with limiting the church to these things is it diminishes the importance of the church. Those things are important, but the church is so much greater than that. Because any organization can accomplish these things, right? You can go learn about God anywhere. Did you know there's public schools that teach about God? You can learn, you can find meaningful community anywhere. You can go join the Rotary Club and find people that will, that will love you and, and be part of that community. You can affect positive change in the world anywhere. You can do all those things in any organization. But what makes the church different? The church is more than that. That's why Jesus said what he did in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus is, what he's he's saying there is that he is building the church on himself, that he is the foundation of the church, and that sets us apart from every other organization in the world. The church is different because our foundation is Christ. We're not the Rotary Club. We are the bride of Christ set apart for the special work of seeking and saving the lost. Here's the truth this morning. Without Christ's commission, we're just like any other social club. It's, it's the commission that sets us apart. It's the call to go and make disciples that makes us different than any other organization because it's one thing to affect social change. It's a total another thing to redirect someone's eternal destiny, right? Eternal destiny is far more important than whether or not someone's belly is full. 
So what does it look like to really be the church? What do we mean when we say gather? Let's take a look at our text in Hebrews 10, verse 24. Here's what it says. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we'll spend some time this morning focusing on what this uh, really means in these two verses. Number one is this, we gather to focus on one another. We gather to focus on one another. What does the text say? It says, and let us consider one another. Consider. What does this word mean? What does it mean to consider one another? Well, if you look at the original language, it's more than just this passing thought about someone. It is to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon someone else. That's what he's saying. When he says, let us consider one another, he's saying, let us fix our mind on someone else. Uh, you, know, you know the saying, everyone's normal until you really get to know them. Everybody's got a little something weird about them, right? One of the weird things about me, I'll be honest with you and tell you what one of the weird things about me is, whenever something gets into my mind, I fixate on it. And it won't go away until I do something with it, right? It drives Julian crazy sometimes because I'll get fixated on something we're doing around here and, and I can't turn my mind off of it. Uh, even even a, a lot of times it's dumb stuff. Things don't matter, right? Um, the, the other day, we, uh, we, several of us went on a little hunting trip and we killed uh, a few deer. We had a little meat hunt and me and Julian and my brother all decided we were going to take all three of our deer, throw them in one cooler and bring them to get processed. And so I start fixating on how are we going to divide this up? Because some deer, my deer was smaller, Stephen's deer was a little bigger, and Julian's was a little bigger. And so I'm, I'm, I'm fixating on this idea, and, and I even start to, because I want certain things out of the deer, like I wanted, I wanted ground meat because we eat a lot of ground meat, but Julian wanted nothing but like sausage and pan sausage, and my brother wanted nothing but just sausage. And so... I'm trying to figure out how we're going to divide this up in, in true fashion. I spend like 45 minutes putting together a spreadsheet. I'm like, all right, so the average weight of a deer after it's done is this, and so that means we'll probably get about this much per person, and uh, it takes this much meat to make boudin, and it takes this much meat to make sausage, and I'm telling you by the time, I'm, I'm, you think I'm joking, I'm dead serious. There's a spreadsheet on my computer right now with all of that, and so when we get done, Julie and I are in the back of the truck and we're trying to separate according to my spreadsheet. I'm like, all right, I think it's this much and it's this much. And once I get something, I, f I can't turn it off. I just, I can't do it. I'll lay in bed at night and think about the dumbest things that matter, not at all, right? And, and, and it's, it's just something about my mind. I fixate on stuff, right? This is, this is what we're talking about. When the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider, he's talking about about focusing our mind on one another. He, he's, he doesn't mean this passing consideration. He means that we focus our mind on one another. We focus ourselves on one another. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So the word here is 
a different word for consider. It, it means just to deem. So when, when, when Paul's writing to the Philippians, he's, he's saying that we should deem others as more important. And so what does this mean? It means, again, that we're fixating ourselves on others before self, right? We're talking about a different kind of community here. Right? This isn't the Rotary Club. This is something radically different where we fixate ourselves on other people first. This is bigger than just doing life together. This is bigger than just hanging out on occasion. We're talking about a community that sets aside their own ambitions, their own interests for the interests of others. This is why we're different because we're not just hanging out to be friends and have a good time. We're hanging out and we're doing life together because we're focused on others before ourselves. This means not doing what you want to do for the sake of someone else. This means setting aside your own desires for others. This means that others are the priority in your life. This means that you're not just concerned about your own spiritual maturity, but also the spiritual maturity of others in the church. Do you get that? That when we're living in Christ-centered community, we're focused on others And not just the needs of others, but the spiritual needs of others. We're focused on the spiritual growth and the spiritual well-being of our fellow congregant. How often do you consider others? How often do you fixate your mind on the spiritual well-being of others? How often do you sacrifice your ambition and interests in order to invest in the spiritual growth of another person? This is community built on a focus for one another's spiritual well-being. This is what the text is talking about. This is more than just hanging out. This is more than just being friends. This is more than just providing a meal when someone's in the hospital or whatever. This is, this is real life built, com- community built just on this foundation of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Which brings us to the next point. We gather to provoke one another. It says in order to provoke love and good works. So we're focusing ourselves on one another's spiritual well-being for a purpose, but what's the purpose? To provoke, which is an odd word to choose there, right? If you have little kids at home, that's a word you're probably really familiar with. Um, so one of the things that Becca really hates is if you just like, barely touch her like if you like tap her on the shoulder or like just just a little like barely like an accidental touch she's like like freaks her out so naturally i like to mess with her all the time about that right so uh we'll be like it'll be like nighttime everybody's going to sleep she's like half asleep and i'll just reach over and just like barely on her arm just barely just like a barely touch and she's like oh and then I used to also tell the kids, like, they'll be like, hey, can I do that? I'm like, well, go tap your mom on the shoulder and ask her if you can do that. And, and it just drives her absolutely nuts, right? And the word that's translated to provoke can also mean to incite or irritate. The word that we're looking at here can also mean to incite or irritate. So here's the idea here. It's that we consistently challenge one another. It's that we consistently challenge one another. Church is a community that is built on a focus for one another's spiritual well-being, but that focus has this purpose, right? We focus so that we can consistently challenge. We build meaningful relationships so that we can consistently challenge one another. But this is hard, right? Because we don't necessarily like to be challenged. 
right? Nobody wants to be told that they're doing something wrong, even when it's from a close friend. God has often put numerous people over the years to challenge me. Seems like it's often my wife. But it's also other people, right? Uh, a friend of mine one time, I was just kind of gotten into a little funk. You, you do the day in and the day out and the day in. And you're always prepare, preparing for Sunday. And sometimes you just get kind of wrapped up in that and you get kind of in a funk. And a, and a friend of mine who was a pastor came up to me one day and was like, just this little jab, like he was like, what's your passion, man? That's a question that can knock you off guard if you're not prepared for it, right? He's like, what, what are you passionate about? And just that one little question was enough to provoke me enough to, to realize, like, I got to get it together, right? I need to get my act together and, and remember what this is all about. I got to get myself back on track, right? The, we focus ourselves on the spiritual well-being of others by challenging, but, but the text goes on, challenging them to what? He says, love and good works, right? We've been given a commission to make disciples, to seek and save the lost. But here's some good news. We do it together, right? We've been given this commission from God to go and seek and save the lost, to make disciples. But we don't do that by ourselves. We do it together. We provoke one another towards love and good works. We provoke each other. We're not a bunch of lone rangers running around seeking and saving. We're a community with a purpose. We're to challenge each other, to love, to love what? Love God, love others, and to do good works. What kind of good works? To make disciples. That's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do. We poke and we prod each other towards love and good works. We we make sure that we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. Loving God, loving others, and making disciples. That's what this community is all about. That's what it really means to gather. It's not that we attend services together. It's that we live in a community that pokes, pokes and prods each other towards love and good works. We challenge one another to actually do what we say we believe. We just did a thing last Sunday. We had a laundromat outreach. And when we do the laundromat outreach, people sometimes are taken back a little bit because we're not just throwing some quarters in a machine for people, we're actually telling people about Jesus. We're actually having real spiritual conversations. As much as anyone will allow us, and sometimes they are not super excited about it, we had an instance this past Sunday, but as much as someone will allow us, we will tell people about Jesus. And the reality is, for many, just the thought of that is a little bit overwhelming. Talking to a stranger about Jesus, just the sheer thought is overwhelming. But you know what makes it doable? The fact that there's other people there with you doing it together. You're not in that laundromat by yourself telling people about Jesus. You've got other brothers and sisters in Christ who are there with you, focusing themselves on the same thing. And just their sheer presence with you is enough to poke and prod you towards love and good works. When we do this together, it's so much easier. Jesus understood the importance of challenging one another towards love and good works. That's why he sent his disciples out two by two. Look at Mark 6, verse 7. 
It says he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not, uh, and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people would repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. So here's what happened. Jesus recognizes that going out by yourself is incredibly difficult. So he gave us the church. He gave us other brothers and sisters of Christ to go out together. He sent these guys two by two to go out and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. This is why we have church. It's not so we can just listen to some dude get up here and scream at you about the Bible or to, to, to sing songs. It's so that we can actually live in community with a purpose. This means we have to get past the empty colloquial greetings and really build meaningful Christ-centered community with each other. It's got to get past the, good morning, brother, how you doing? Oh, man, everything's going good, everything's great. That's not real. Let's be honest. When you get home with your wife and she's like, how, how was your day? And you're like, Bruh. that's real. <laughs> that's the real you. That's real community. But not community for community's sake. Our community is not just so that we can have friends. It's community for the sake of seeking and saving the lost. We need to be willing to provoke and willing to be provoked. If a brother comes up to you and says, hey man, you need to get your act together, you should welcome that. But that requires humility. It requires intentionality. And it requires real genuine relationships which leads us to the next point we gather not to uh, we gather to commune with one another this the text goes on it says not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing for us to really focus on the spiritual well-being of others so that we can challenge one another toward love and good works we must we must actually commune together right you can't build relationships if you don't know the person you can't build relationships where you're willing to provoke and be provoked if you don't even know the person right this is why it's so important that we gather together this is why i am not a fan of virtual church sorry if you're watching online i'm not a fan of virtual church i love the fact that we have it i love the fact that if you're at home and you really need it as a tool for you it's great but the problem is it's not church it's not. Because if that's church, then it's just listen to some dude preaching music. That's not church. Church is meaningful community. And so this, while it's a great tool if you're homesick or you can't make it, this is not what God intended for the church to be. It's not a legitimate replacement for real community. Real church is about real relationships, and that requires communing with one another, not just church attendance, but real community, right? You can come here and sit and never make a relationship with someone. As much as this is a problem, this can be a problem too, because in this room with 200 people in here, it's not possible to build meaningful community. 
You look at Acts 2, verse 44. We looked at this last year. Now all of the believers were together. You know what that word together means? It means together. In the same place. And they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Listen, the early church, they met every day. They did life together every single day. They had deep, genuine relationships. This is imperative for us to be able to provoke one another towards love and good works. This is imperative to have this level of relationship for us to really be willing to provoke and be provoked. I... I want to share something with you. It's a little bit on the personal side, but I'm going to share it with you. I've always typically been an oversharer anyway. So I have this thought, this belief that pastors are uniquely suited to be tempted with the sin of pride. I've seen it too many times. I've seen so many pastors, ones that I know personally, ones that I follow from afar, who have failed morally because of pride. And I am not naive enough to think that I'm invincible from that same thing. And if I'm honest with you, I'm terrified of that. I'm terrified that one day I will be so wrapped up in my own self, in my own thoughts, in my own vision, I will totally negate and neglect what we've been called to do and what we've been called to be for the sake of my own kingdom. I'm scared of that because I've seen it happen to good people. And so, because I'm fully aware of this reality, there are people that I have specifically asked to punch me in the throat anytime. I ever veer off towards that direction. I've literally sat with our deacons and said, listen to me, please keep me accountable. My wife already is great at that. (laughs) I've sat with Julian and said, please keep me accountable. I've sat with other men who I respect and who I have meaningful relationships with and said, please keep me accountable. These are people that I have built meaningful, deep relationships with, people I trust, people who have said they would consider my spiritual, spiritual well-being, people who have said they would provoke me towards love and good works, people who have said they would challenge me if and when I ever drift from the mission that God has given us. The question is, do you have people like this in your life? Do you have people like this in your life? People that you've gone to and said, look, I'm fully aware that I am prone to wander. Please, please provoke me towards love and good works. Please challenge me consistently to live out the life that God has called us to live out. Here's the truth, you need them. If you don't have them, you need them. You need someone in your life. And if you haven't developed meaningful 
enough relationships within the church to have people that are comfortable enough to call you out. You are missing out on the real gift of the church. The real gift of the church is not colloquial greetings on Sundays that make you feel good about yourself. The real gift of the church is accountability. You've heard me say a million times, this isn't about 10.30 on Sunday mornings. This isn't about music or preaching. Those things are the culmination of what we're really supposed to be about. This is about community on mission. This is about a group of people who are so in love with Jesus that they're willing to negate and look past all other things and and recognize that they have all things in common when compared to the fact that, that the only thing that matters is the gospel. And that we're willing to keep each other accountable towards that gospel and that mission. Your most meaningful relationships should be centered around Christ. Not your work, not your friends that you grew up in high school with. Your most meaningful relationships should should be centered around Christ. Why? So we can exhort each other to accomplish the mission. Which leads us to the last point this morning, and it's this. We gather to encourage one another. It says, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You guys seen the movie Braveheart? It's classic, right? There's that epic speech at the end. I'm going to read it for you because why not? It says, uh, here's what he says. He says, I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight, and you may die. Run, and you will live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And I totally butchered that. Did not do it justice. If you watch the movies, right? And, and I don't know, maybe it's probably the accent, but when you hear William Wallace recite that, it stirs up a resolve deep down within you, right? When you watch that movie, you're like, oh, I'm ready to get off the couch and go punch somebody, right? Why? Because it's a call to action, but not just to action. It's a call to action, but not just a call to action. It's a call to one side. It's William Wallace saying, we're in this together. Join me as we fight together for something that matters. And when you look at the original language in this text, this is the picture you get from the word translated encouraging. It's a call to one side. It's saying, hey, we're in this together. You come and you join me as we go and we seek to save the lost. We're in this together. We're standing side by side, linked arm in arm, going out for a purpose to reach the world for Christ. This is a lot like provoking towards love and good works, but it takes it a step further because it's a call to one side. It's literally bestowing courage in uh, another person because they know you're in it with them. When we encourage someone, we're bestowing courage in their heart because we're saying, I'm in this with you. We're together. We're fighting together. We're working towards a common goal together. 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, as we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. The ones who are just sitting there enjoying the service, we admonish you to join in on the fight. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Listen, living out the mission of seeking and saving the lost is hard work. It's hard. It's scary work. It's terrifying to go out and tell someone about Christ. It's, it's talking to people about your faith. that they can be so overwhelming. But we can give courage to one another when we work together. We keep each other accountable. Right? When we do this together, we keep each other accountable. We're working together for the same common goal. We started our equip classes this past Wednesday. One of the things that I really like about the defending and sharing class is that on day one, there was a challenge, right? If you were in that class, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Julian told you in that class that, hey, we're not just here to learn, we're going to do, right? And immediately, some of you, your heart went from here to here, and you were like, right? Oh, I got to actually talk to someone. And, and, and what made it really like terrifying is that he told you at the end of this, we're actually going to talk about how that conversation went. And so some of you are already thinking, all right, I got to make sure that I'm not at church on that night right there, right? Because you were terrified of being held accountable to what God has called us to do. I get that. But isn't it nice to have accountability like that? Isn't it nice to have someone provoke you towards love and good works, but not just that, but to say, I'm, I'm with you. This is called action. We're together. We're doing this together. We're headed in the same direction together. This is what it means to gather. So when we say hashtag fellowship gathers on our posts, we're not just mean, hey, we're coming together at 1030 and we're going to have a service. What we mean is that we are a church that lives in meaningful community all for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. That's what we mean by fellowship gathers. This is what it means to live in Christ-centered community. It means that we commune with each other so much that we're willing to focus ourselves on the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can provoke them towards love and good works all the while bestowing courage in each other's hearts because we know that we're in this together. Listen, this morning, this is what this is all about. This is what this is all about. We don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We, we don't just gather to learn more. We gather so that we can go. We gather so that we can go and so that we can go together. Here's the truth. Many of us need to rethink our understanding of church. Many of us need to rethink our understanding of church. Many of us need to acknowledge that we've not been living in this level of community. Many of us need to acknowledge that church is not about 10.30 gathering together. But church is about living in community focused on seeking and saving the lost. We need to repent. We need to engage ourselves in community. If this is you, if you're recognizing, I'm not living in this kind of community, you just need to repent of that and engage yourself in the community. So what's the takeaway? One, some of you need to connect on a deeper level. Some of you come 
to worship on a routine basis, or at least when it's convenient. And your next step is to engage into the community. And listen, that's not going to happen in this room. You need to really get plugged in. You need to find you a growth group in a smaller room with, with a smaller amount of people so you can build meaningful relationships. You need to start doing life with other believers so they can challenge you and provoke you. And you need to be willing to allow them to challenge you and provoke you and not push that away because of your pride. Some of you need to join a church. Attending a church is not what church is all about. You need to join in on the mission. And listen, maybe it's not fellowship, but it needs to be somewhere. You need to find a church that you believe is actively working to seek and save the lost and get plugged in. Get plugged in. Not as a spectator, but as a contributing member of the body. We've been given a mission and God has equipped you to serve a unique role in accomplishing that mission. And until you plug in, you are leaving the church maimed and and not accomplishing really what God has called it to to accomplish. Paul uses the illustration that we are the body of Christ. Some people with the hands, some people with the arm. A lot of churches are are maimed. They're not accomplishing what they're supposed to accomplish because a lot of people are just sitting back and spectating. Number three, some of us, some, some, some of you need to surrender your life to Jesus. There's no point in joining a faith community if you have not surrendered in faith. There's no point in this if you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. If, if what we're talking about is, is really what gathering is all about, what the church is all about, then you have to know Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus to join in on this community. It doesn't really make sense to seek and save the lost when you're spiritually lost. Right, if the church is about a a community of people focused on seeking and saving the lost, step one is put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ so you can be found and so that you're your affections and your desires, the Holy Spirit can change you and make you into a new creation so that you can focus yourself on the exact same thing that we're all focusing ourselves on, which is making and maturing disciples, right? Seeking and saving the lost. That's what we're all about. Would you please stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Here's my challenge to you this morning. I just read three things. Three things that are the takeaways from this sermon. If you're in in, in camp one where you need to connect on a deeper level, you've been coming to church, but you haven't engaged in the community. One of the things I used to say when I was uh, not here for a little bit was that it's one thing to attend church, it's another thing for that church to be part of who you are. And part of who I am, part of my DNA is fellowship. It is this church. Because you are family. And not family for family's sake, but family who, who, are, who have a purpose. 
So if you haven't engaged in that way, if this is just a place that you attend, it's time to take it to the next level and engage in the community. So if that's you, my challenge to you is to get involved. Find a growth group. Find a place to serve. Plug in. Some of you are in that second camp. You've attended for a while, but it's time to really join the group. It's time to really become part of the church, right? To, to join the fellowship family. And if it's not fellowship, find you a church that has a purpose and a vision and, and jump on board. But if it is fellowship, then let's get moving together. If you want to join fellowship, you want to be part of the fellowship family, just let us know. We'd love to meet with you and talk about that. We would love to have a conversation about what it means to be part of the fellowship family and how you can become part of our church. But then number three, some of you fall in that camp where you really just need to surrender your life to Jesus. You've got all the whys and the why nots and, and, and all this stuff that's holding you back from truly surrendering your life to Jesus. But all of this hinges on that reality. That is the starting point. Right? Putting your faith and your hope in Christ is step one. If you don't have that, you have nothing. So my prayer, my hope is that if you fall into that category that this morning, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and revealing himself to you and that you will choose in this moment to surrender to Jesus. Here in a moment, the band's going to sing. There'll be a couple of people standing here down front that would love to have a conversation with you about any of those things. They would love an opportunity to talk to you about those. Also, there's altars here. This is a time for you to respond. This is a time for you to, to, to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. If God is convicting your heart that you need to take one of these steps, these altars are here for you to come and pray, kneel before God and repent and ask him to change your heart. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, this church that you've given us, this faith community, all focused on seeking and saving the lost. God, we thank you for the fact that you've put people in our lives to provoke us and challenge us towards love and good works. God, we pray that we would respond with humility and that we would gather together and link arms and encourage one another towards advancing your kingdom. Should we pray? Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.